see you tonight. Welcome. John's Gospel, chapter 14 this evening. Sunday night through the Bible, Genesis to Revelation. John's Gospel, chapter 14, verse 1. Jesus speaking, and he said to the disciples, Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, that is the Father. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare and if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am there you may be also, and where I go you know, and the way you know. And so um, by way of remembrance, chapters thirteen through seventeen in the Gospel according to John are completely unique to this gospel. And they constitute the recorded events of Jesus with his disciples on the night before his uh, crucifixion. And so he's speaking to them. They're in an upper room somewhere in the city of Jerusalem on that night before the cross. Uh, We're thankful for the chapters and verses that break things up. I certainly am. Allow us to turn to a chapter quickly and a verse and all together be able to get to that verse immediately. But it's important that we remember that these chapters and verses were not a part of the original letters and the original Gospels. It wasn't like uh, John finished uh, uh, chapter 13 and then, or Jesus finished what he was saying to them and they all took a coffee break and then they picked things back up in chapter 14. It's all just going straight through. And we won't understand what it is that's happening in chapter 14, not at all unless we understand what the vibe is in that room. And the vibe that's in that upper room has been established in verse um, 33 of chapter uh, 13, where Jesus spoke to the disciples and said, Little children, I shall be with you a little while longer. You will seek me, and as I have said to the Jews, where I am going, you cannot come. So now I say to you, And he's speaking about a coming separation that's going to occur between him and the disciples. It speaks certainly to the three days and three nights between his death and his resurrection. But it speaks very, very uh, uh, applicationally toward uh, the separation that is now approaching 2,000 years in human history from the time of his ascension up into heaven and then us awaiting the rapture of the church and then ultimately uh, his uh, second coming. This news that he is going to leave them and they cannot go with him is like a bomb going off in the room for the disciples. Now you and I, as Christians, in this day and in this age, uh, beyond the apostolic age, beyond the ministry and the life of the apostles, this is all that we have known. And actually what we know in a relationship with God by the Holy Spirit The Bible teaches us even superior to what it is uh, in not walking by sight, but walking by faith to what the disciples had. But all they have known for three and a half years is his presence. He's been with them day and night, the teaching. He's been um, up to every single need that has occurred within their life. And now he tells them he's going. Now, we know the Bible and we know a little bit about everything's going to be okay. They don't know that. I mean, they, they kind of hope that, but they're not that confident in it. And so they are very, very concerned. And in fact, they're very troubled as uh, Jesus tries, endeavors to comfort them in, in uh, uh, chapter 1 of verse 14. And that word troubled, it means disturbed or it means agitation. It doesn't mean that they were bugged or that Jesus was getting on their nerves or something like that. The word speaks of the condition of the ocean when it is in turmoil, or if you ever open the lid up to a washing machine uh, top load uh, 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 during the the wash cycle, and you push the button in and you see all of that churning. That's the heart. That's where those disciples are right now. They they are, are so uncertain. Their hearts are are. Uh, filled with uh, with trouble at at this news. And so Jesus now, he begins to speak to them about 
the relationship that he's going to have with them now uh, moving forward uh, after his ascension uh, into heaven, that the relationship with him is going to change dramatically in the sense that he's not going to be physically present with them, uh, but that's not going to diminish his care for them at all. And so he says, you believe in God, believe also in uh, me. And so he comforts them of the fact that uh, his care for them is not going to be diminished not one bit now, um, it, it, despite this physical separation that is, is going to uh, occur. He's going to take care of them uh, just as he always had taken care of them, and they needed to trust him uh, in, 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 as they would trust in God the Father for exactly that. You notice in verse 2, as he's now comforting them now, the new kind of ground rules, the new, um, the new way this relationship is going to work in this separation, and he informed them that he, is, uh, that he was re- leaving them to return to heaven and return to his Father's house, that is God the Father, that's heaven, to prepare heaven for them. It's a beautiful way to think about heaven. Think of heaven as Uh, my father's house or as a father's house. We read in the Revelation and we read about, um, you know, the streets of gold and the great sea of crystal and all of these things. When Jesus describes heaven, he speaks of it as being uh, a father's house. And so uh, it is all the things Revelation declares to us, uh, but more than that, when Jesus spoke of heaven, he spoke of it as a father's house. He told them further that heaven is a prepared place and that uh, he was going there to prepare uh, a place in heaven for them, for us as well. And then in verses 3 and 4, he comforts them further by telling them that one day, following that preparation, he will return, receive us, receive them to himself that we might be in heaven uh, even as, uh, and to be with him there as well. And so the, the encouragement that um, he is not going to leave us here, one day he is going to, he himself is going to deliver us into a very real heaven and, uh, and he is going to do it, uh, make sure that that happens. He says uh, there in, in the passage, he said, if it were not so in verse 2, Uh, I would have told you. And so when Jesus speaks of heaven, it's not uh, pie in the sky or something like this in the sweet by and by. Um, He lets us know, know, I wouldn't tell you about heaven. I wouldn't speak to you about it or one day taking you to heaven uh, if uh, it weren't so. I'm not feeding you with a false hope related to this. Um, I will take you to that place and one day you will uh, be there, and he'll make sure of it uh, personally. Thomas is listening to this. This is Do- uh, Doubting Thomas is the, the name that he's uh, been given. He's a little bit of a doubter, and, uh, but he, he asks the questions that everyone wants to ask, but nobody has the nerve to. Uh, and so Jesus is just getting started on... Uh, telling the disciples what it is they need to know and how this relationship is going to change from being physically present with them to the new way that it's going to be, he barely gets started, and Thomas interrupts him. You talk about a dollar waiting on a dime. I mean, but Jesus doesn't get troubled by it at all. Uh, He takes the question and he answers the question. I think it's very important for us to realize that Jesus is not troubled by any honest question that we bring to him. He's not troubled by that at all. The problem is, is that we so often will keep uh, so many questions to ourselves and uh, not take them to him. Thomas isn't one of those people. And he said, Lord, we don't know where you're going, and how can we know uh, the way? And so he interrupts uh, Jesus here, and that's his question. We, I don't know what in the world you're talking about. You're talking about going someplace. I don't know where you're going, and, uh, and how in the world can we know the, the way? Well, Jesus had just told them that he was returning to heaven, and for three and a half years he had been telling them about how to get to heaven. Famously, John 3.16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Uh, They were present when Jesus spoke to a group of religious leaders and others that came up to Jesus 
And they asked him, what must we do to do the works of God? And Jesus answered them and said, this is the work of God, uh, that you believe on him whom he sent. That is how to have the assurance of heaven by simply trusting in Jesus for the forgiveness of our sins. They had been hearing uh, this continually, how to be saved throughout the three and a half uh, years. And so it wasn't like that Jesus hadn't been clear concerning all of this, but they're just like all of us, Thomas is, the disciples, they're trying to put pieces together that aren't clear to them yet. And so Jesus here, he makes it just black and white clear to them. And he said to Thomas, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And if you had known me, you would have known my Father also. And from now on, you know him and have seen him. So in response to where are you going and how do we get there? What is the way? Jesus declares plainly, I am the way, and that's the context of the conversation, how to end up in heaven one day. He is uh, the way, and so uh, what is the way to get to heaven? It is through me, and it's only through me. You notice the singularity of it? I am the singular, I am the way to get into Uh, to heaven one day. Jesus doesn't just teach us about a way or point us to the way or reveal the way. He is the way. Salvation is in a person, and it is found in a personal relationship with Jesus as uh, the way. Second, Jesus declares himself to be the truth. He doesn't merely teach truth. Uh, He is the truth. He did teach truth, but he is the embodiment of truth. That's the problem with anybody that rejects Jesus and rejects his life. Jesus said to the Jewish religious leaders of his day, he said, "Um, which of you convicts me of sin? Which of you can point out a single uh, sin uh, in in my life, in anything I've ever said or in anything that I've ever done? Complete silence on their part. They couldn't uh, point out one at all because He is uh, the truth. And if we have Jesus, we have the truth concerning spiritual things and God and everything that the Bible addresses. And we don't have to look elsewhere for it. And so to live apart from uh, Christ is to live in complete ignorance concerning the truth about God and about uh, spiritual things. Now, one of the challenges that we face as Christians is that when Jesus says, I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life, because we're born again and because the Holy Spirit is in us and we know these things to be true, know that he is the truth, the challenge is to know those things and then be humble in our dealings with other people that don't know these things yet. And to treat then in a conversation where people haven't come to understand, just like we once didn't understand, to, we've come to understand this to be true about him. They're not here they, here, yet. And so to treat them with respect and to conduct ourselves with, uh, with humility. And so sometimes it's hard to be in the truth, to know it's the truth. See, the truth is, works out in our life. Uh, day in and day out, the fulfillment of his promises every day in our life, but then to be humble as we present that to other people. And so he is the truth, and then Jesus declares himself to be the life. He's the source of everlasting life. He is the source of abundant life even before we get into heaven. Everything else apart from Christ is in existence. It is not truly life. It is in existence. It is to live on, a, on an animal plane in, in many, many respects. And uh, it is Jesus that brings us into life as God has uh, intended it. And then with absolute clarity, Jesus declared, no one comes to the Father except through uh, me. And he makes it as clear as he possibly uh, can so nobody can misunderstand it. 
because it's the most important decision that a person will make in life is what we do with Christ, what we do with his teaching and his example uh, in, in life. And so uh, we need to be clear upon the fact that no one comes to the Father but through me. And Jesus said it without apology, said it without flinching, he said it without any hesitation at all. You stop and think about how popular Jesus would be in the world if popularity and likes were what he was after in his incarnation. There's, all he had to do is just erase a handful of things like this, and the whole world would love him. But when he comes on the scene and he says, I am the singular, the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father but by me, people balk at that. They don't like that. They don't like the fact how uh, exclusive that that, uh, that that is and how intolerant in their view uh, that, that it is. And so, uh, so, but he says it nonetheless. His polling could be off the charts if he just didn't say stuff like this that offended our flesh. And yet he said them because popularity was not his aim. Truth was his aim. Our salvation uh, is, was and is his aim. And, and I don't know how everybody comes through life in a different kind of way. I come through it in my own way. But to me, I have no problem that there is only one way to God. The marvel is, is that there is a way, that there is even one way that God would provide a way of salvation to us and then to do so at such enormous cost to himself in his son. The old saying, beggars can't be choosers, and I really feel uh, that way. And so I'm grateful that there is a way. One of the important things about understanding the narrowness of salvation, even though it is narrow and it is admittedly narrow, it can only occur through uh, Jesus, but despite its narrowness, nobody's excluded. Nobody's excluded. Nobody's so good in life that they don't need to be saved. Nobody's so bad in life that they can't be saved. And so it erases all of the complaints that are there. We just don't want to be saved God's way uh, so often. And that's the real complaint is that I've got to come to God and, and uh, begin a relationship with him on his terms rather than my own. And it can take people a long time to get over that until there's so many mistakes in their past and such a blown life and so many messed up relationships and all kinds of things. And they realize that, you know, I think I, think I need a, a new driver of uh, the car of my life. And then to turn over and say, listen, I, I, um, I, I would be more than thrilled, God, to have you take over uh, the steering wheel of, of my life. And so uh, Jesus here with absolute clarity uh, he, he declares himself to be the way to heaven, the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father, uh, as he says, uh, but by me. In verse 7, when he says, If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. And from now on you know him and have seen him. And Jesus here is declaring to them his absolute unity with the Father. And so, and, and so Jesus is the perfect representation of the nature of God the Father. They are two different persons. They are separate persons within the Godhead. But they are absolutely one in nature. And one of the great questions that anyone will ever deal with in life is, once we come to the realization that there is a God, then the next question is, what in the world is he like? And what is God the Father like? 
And Jesus is the answer uh, to that. What is he like? What, is he, uh, uh, what does he think like? How, what does he think of me? And how can I come to know him? And all of those questions are answered in uh, Jesus. Jesus represents the Father uh, uh, to us. He's an exact representation of the Father, the same uh, nature. And, and so uh, Thomas has interrupted Jesus and Philip. He, a question comes into his mind, and less of a question, more of a demand. And uh, you wonder if ever Jesus is going to be able to get back on subject again. But Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father, and it is sufficient for us. Well, that's not too much to ask, is it, uh, for Philip to ask uh, of Jesus. Philip believes that the greatest preparation that they could receive for this coming uh, separation, the greatest anchor to their faith would be to see uh, the Father as clearly and as plainly as they could see Jesus. So he, he's the kind of guy that thinks that the best way to know God is by uh, sight. And Jesus responds then uh, to that in verse 9. He begins with a rebuke. Have I been with you so long? Uh, and yet you have not known me, Philip. He who has seen me has seen the Father. So how can you say, show us the Father? And so here, again, Jesus is reemphasizing the same thing. If you have seen me, what you have seen me say, what you've seen me do, how you've seen me uh, act in one-on-one with individual people, when you saw me raise people from the dead, when you saw me multiply uh, the fish and the loaves, when you saw me do everything, uh, what you were, you were seeing there, you've seen the Father, what He would do in the same situation, because I did in that situation what it is that uh, that he desired for uh, me to do. So, uh, again, it, it reinforces the idea, sometimes even Christians we can have in our minds, that you've got God the Father, and he's one entity over here, and you've got the Son over here, and they're entirely different. And you've got God the Father, the God of the Old Testament, he's just slightly ticked off at all of us. And, uh, and then, but we, we become a Christian, and now Jesus is in our life, and he knows how to calm down the Father. Now, that isn't at all what, it, what it's like. Uh, the Father and Jesus identical in Old Testament and in New Testament and, and identical um, in nature. Everything that Jesus uh, spoke and did uh, was uh, in, in alignment with the Father. And he brings that out now in verse 10. Uh, do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father in me? The words I speak to you, I do not speak in my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me uh, does uh, the works. And so he said, every word you ever heard me teach uh, about heaven, about hell, about life, every rebuke, every uh, encouragement that came from me, all of these things, uh, these were uh, I, I didn't speak in my own authority, but I, I spoke on behalf of uh, God the Father. And then, uh, and, and he declares not only the words, but also the works. Believe, verse 11, me that I am in the Father and the Father in me, or else believe me for the sakes of the works themselves. Every time you saw me do a miracle or whatever it might be, you saw me working in conjunction, in cooperation uh, with, uh, with the Father. We, you, it's been three and a half years. You have witnessed me physically, Jesus says. But you have been witnessing me physically. You have seen the heart, the mind, the nature, the character of the Father uh, as, uh, as well. And in all of this, Jesus is uh, declaring his equality uh, with the Father, that he, he was more than a revealer of the Father, that he is uh, divine, God the Father, and he is uh, God the Son. And so he calls on uh, Philip here and uh, to believe in uh, both, uh, believe this concerning Jesus, believe him to be equal with the Father and operating in cooperation with the Father on the basis of his teaching and on the basis of his miracles, because that was one of the reasons for his miracles and his teaching was in order that they would recognize only someone who is absolutely inseparably united with God the Father could teach these things and could do 
uh, these things. And then in verse 12, Jesus is able to return uh, to the subject of separation and preparing them for the new, uh, new basis of, of his relationship with them. He said, most assuredly, or verily, verily, I say to you, he who believes in me, the works that I do, he will do also, and greater works than these he will do, because I go to my Father. So Jesus communicates to them, I'm going to, to leave you. There's going to be this separation, but uh, all of the works that I've done in my public ministry all of those things are now going to continue, but they're going to continue through you, through the body of Christ, through the disciples, through the Christians, all the way into this, to this age. And so he said, all of the, the works that you saw me do, I'm going to, you're going to do those things as well. And so the ministry of miracles and the supernatural, the ministry of preaching and teaching God's word, uh, all of those things would now continue uh, in Jesus' absence, so to speak, him being heaven, by the Holy Spirit uh, in, the in our lives as Christians. And you see, the book of Acts is a great witness to this. It's a testimony uh, of it. And the book of Acts, sometimes you'll see, uh, it, the, your Bible will say, uh, the Acts of the Apostles. It's nothing of the sort. It is the Acts of the Holy Spirit. If it was the Acts of the Apostles, it would uh, end with Peter's flub at trying to uh, appoint Judas, his replacement, um, among the twelve. No, the whole thing is a witness to the fact that Jesus has not discontinued his ministry at all, but is now continuing it through the Holy Spirit, through spiritual gifts in our lives as Christians today, just as, as was recorded in the book of Acts. Now, sometimes people will look at it and, and they'll say, well, uh, the, the miraculous, uh, the gifts of the Holy Spirit, the supernatural uh, of the book of Acts and of the Gospels, those things were for another age. We don't need them uh, today. I wish they'd get in my shoes. Uh, I need them, and, and I'm open to anything that God wants to do. So, but the idea of that, that was a, a certain age, and he's talking to the apostles here, and that those things aren't really for today in the body of Christ, and we shouldn't expect him uh, to operate through our lives in, in the way that he did in his three and a half years of his public ministry. But you look at verse 12, and it doesn't talk, uh, uh, limit it down to the apostles. Verily, verily, I say to you, he who believes in me. This is true of every Christian. And, that, and that's the reason for the baptism with the Holy Spirit, the, the gifts of the Holy Spirit, of which every single Christian has at least one, and, and maybe more that is, uh, will give a supernatural uh, flavor, a supernatural power to whatever it is that he's called us to do and, and be anywhere he places us in, in the whole wide uh, world. And so he says these works, his work is going to continue, but now through his body. And then he says something interesting, greater works than these he will do because I go to my father. Well, that really baffles us a little bit. I'm going to do greater works. The body of Christ is going to do greater works than Jesus did. He made a habit of raising people from the dead and cleansing lepers and this kind of thing. How could it be uh, greater works? Well, it certainly speaks to uh, greater in number. When Jesus, in his incarnation, coming in, into the world, um, he, in the position that he voluntarily took, he could only be one place at one time. Uh, and, and he almost never left the land of Israel. And now in the body of Christ, even in the early church, the Holy Spirit comes upon the early church. They spread out through the entire Roman world. And now you have Christians all around the world and God operating through them and through our gifts all around the world. And so uh, all of this would be greater works in terms of, of quantity, but also in terms of, of quality as, as well. When Jesus speaks this to the disciples at this moment in time, no one has been born again yet by the Holy Spirit as a, a product of his death, burial, and resurrection. Yes, they're Old Testament saints uh, that put their faith in Jesus Christ, the Messiah who was to come, receive everlasting life and salvation. But the Holy Spirit coming into a person's life, 
by virtue of a spiritual birth, that's going to happen after Jesus' death, burial, and uh, resurrection. And so following that, as, the, as we would go out and, and preach the gospel to the world, and people would uh, hear God's invitation to salvation through faith in Christ, and then receive Him as the Savior in their life, be born again by the Holy Spirit, Uh, And in being born again, they would receive the greatest miracle that a human life can experience. The the experience of having God Almighty come into our lives and and dwell in our lives. And so greater in terms of quantity, even greater in terms of quality. Being born again is a greater miracle than being cleansed of leprosy. It's a greater miracle than being raised from the dead. Uh, because the consequences of it are uh, eternal, among other things. And so greater works that he will do through us now. His ministry hasn't ceased with his uh, ascension into heaven, but he continues to do these things uh, through his body around the world. And then uh, Jesus, uh, uh, in verse 13, said, And whatever you ask in my name, that I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son." And if you ask anything in my name, I will do it. And so uh, Jesus comforts them here by letting them know uh, that access to his wisdom and his power is going to continue absolutely uninterrupted uh, through prayer. So when Jesus was physically present with them, all they had to do is just walk up to him. They could ask him anything face to face. And, and make a request uh, uh, of him. And Jesus is declaring that prayer is no less efficient. It's no less uh, effective. And I think it's tremendous to think of prayer uh, in that way. When we pray, God hears that prayer immediately. And he acts upon that prayer as immediately as ever the disciples did when they came up to him with a need in, in the three and a half years of his, his public ministry or uh, if, if, as if we had uh, the same great efficiency as if we were face to face with uh, Jesus uh, himself ourselves. And so these verses really contain some of the most amazing promises concerning prayer in all of the Bible. And you notice that, and whatever you ask in my name, that I, I will do. Uh, verse 14, if you ask anything in my name, I will uh, do that. You simply cannot um, provide us as the body of Christ or an encouragement in this physical separation that, uh, that it, it, between us and Jesus presently, uh, a greater encouragement to prayer than, than the promises he associates uh, with prayer here. I think if, uh, if I and if we took it seriously, uh, we would hardly cease to pray uh, at all in life. It is important to understand what Jesus isn't uh, saying here. He's not promising that anything that we ask of him, uh, that he has to give us uh, that, no matter how selfish or how carnal the request uh, might be. And you have a lot of false teaching that goes on today where uh, they take promises like this and then tell us that we can write our own ticket with God and whatever we ask of him, he's obligated to give it to us uh, no matter what. And, of course, that sells in a very materialistic way Uh, culture and society and uh, where Christians value material blessings over spiritual blessings. And so there's the demand, Lord, I claim and I demand in prayer this car or this income level or this material thing. And and then supposedly God is obligated to supply that. Well, if if that were true, I I don't think you could think of a, a more effective recipe for producing a bunch of carnal materialistic Uh, people and Christians, but that's not what Jesus is teaching here. The context of it is he's teaching disciples. Uh, Those who uh, have, uh, Jesus said, if anyone wants to come after me, let him take up his cross, deny himself, and follow me. So these are people that are praying uh, with with spiritual things in mind supremely, concerned about the kingdom uh, of 
uh, of God. And so uh, that would be their priority. And so these promises concerning prayer aren't given to uh, help me fulfill every selfish desire that I, I, I might have. Additionally, these prayers, you notice Jesus talks about them in verse 13 being offered in his name. Uh, in the Jewish culture, uh, a person's name uh, represented their uh, character. So he's saying, whatever you ask that is consistent with my character, is consistent with you as a disciple, the priorities that should mark a disciple, and whatever you ask that is consistent with, with my nature, I promise you, you're going to get uh, those uh, those things. And so you couldn't ask God to uh, bless you in committing a bank robbery because that would be asking something that's inconsistent with his uh, nature or ask God to bless a Bible study that I'm going to teach if I'm teaching uh, false doctrine. He's not obligated in that way at all. But here is the prayer for needs in our life, for vision, for direction, for gifting and effectiveness in our in our, uh, our ministries and, and things like that. But he says, now the communication is going to be through prayer and it represents no limitation at all uh, to communication. In verse 16, he goes on and declares, and I will uh, pray the Father and he will give you another helper, speaking of the Holy Spirit, that he may abide with you forever the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because uh, it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him for he dwells with you and will be in you. I will not leave you uh, orphans. I will come uh, to uh, you. And so uh, th this is his, uh, the, the promise that he makes here in, in all of this related to this uh, work of the Holy Spirit. When he says here, uh, and he talks about um, a, another helper coming uh, to him or going to abide with them, uh, in talking about the person of the Holy Spirit, he's talking about one who comes alongside to help or assist. And, um, uh, uh, and, and so uh, Jesus here is referring to the Holy Spirit as someone who does that. He comes alongside me to help me in my uh, walk with the Lord. And, uh, and Jesus said that he will abide with us forever. You might remember in the Old Testament, occasionally there would be figures in the Old Testament that would receive the Holy Spirit coming upon their life in order for them to do extraordinary things for God under uh, this covenant with Jesus Christ in this separation Every single Christian has that anointing upon, uh, upon their lives. It's not something that we receive for a time and then he takes it back. This ministry of the Holy Spirit will abide with us forever. You notice in verses 16 and 17 that uh, the repetition of the personal pronouns and the, and the names that are given uh, to the Holy Spirit. He is called uh, a helper. He is referred to repeatedly as he, him, 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 he. Uh, in the passage, always in the Bible, he's referred to by either name or by uh, a personal pronoun. And all of it is intended to communicate that he is a person. The Holy Spirit is a person. He has a will. Ananias and Sapphira learn that you can lie to the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit can be grieved. The Holy Spirit can be quenched. The Holy Spirit can give instruction. He can give uh, direction. These are all marks of personality. The Holy Spirit is never referred to as an it or a thing in the Scriptures. And it's important to understand that. He's not merely a force, not merely a power. He has power and he has force, but he is a person who possesses that to then impart that and other things to us as, as well. And so it is the, the person of the Holy Spirit uh, coming into our lives and, uh, and, 
uh, and that, that's who's coming in. You notice that Jesus describes the Holy Spirit in verse 16 as another helper. And uh, uh, the word there for another is alon. It means another of the same kind. There's a different word that Jesus could have used for uh, uh, a Greek word for that meant another of a different kind. But he doesn't use that word. He used the word that means another of the same kind. And so when he speaks to the disciples and says, I'm going to give you another helper, I'm going to give you another helper of the same kind. Uh, Who was the first helper? Jesus was the first helper. He said, I'm sending the Holy Spirit, and he will be every bit the help to you in your Christian life and ministry as I ever was physically present uh, with you. And and this is the scope of the ministry of of the Holy Spirit uh, in our lives. Uh, He is going to come. He will be to us what Jesus was to the disciples during that three and a half years. And, of course, uh, Jesus was sufficient for every need that they had uh, in their lives. And so the Holy Spirit will be as, uh, as well, helping us in, in all the ways that we have need of. You notice, too, in, at the end of verse 17, Jesus said, For he, the Holy Spirit, he dwells with you and he will be in you. The Holy Spirit, uh, at this time, uh, when he's speaking to the disciples, the Holy Spirit was with them. Uh, The Holy Spirit is with every single person in the world. Uh, For us as Christians tonight, one of the three relationships that we have with the Holy Spirit is that he is with us. And it's this withness, this being around us, uh, that uh, this work of the Holy Spirit that kind of worked as like a bumper car to bring us to Christ. So he's working in the world outside of us and around us. Jesus said to them, because it's prior to his death, burial, and resurrection, that he's with you now, but he will be in you. And that, and that is the Holy Spirit coming inside of our lives when we're born again by the Holy Spirit. You can't be a Christian. It, it is that experience of the Holy Spirit coming into my life that makes me a Christian. He says that he will be in you, speaking of it as a, a future thing that is going to happen uh, in, in their lives. And thus, uh, uh, Jesus makes this uh, sense, to make sense of the statement that Jesus makes. And when he talks to them in verse 18, I will not leave you orphans, but will uh, come to you. Uh, one of the things that in that ancient world, when a rabbi would die in those days, his followers would be, uh, would be referred to as orphans. And so Jesus declared, he's not going to leave them the way that a regular rabbi would leave um, his, his disciples. And, um, and because of who he was, he would then uh, send the Holy Spirit. Now, I, I jumped a passage in a, a verse that's very important in verse 15, and it got me all confused. So I do want to go back to verse 15, and and again as a part of God comforting us in this this separation, and one of the questions that would arise for the disciples, that arises for us as well, is, okay, in this separation, how are we going to express our love to you? It's very easy for the disciples to express their love uh, to Jesus as he was physically present now. In this separation now that's been going on almost 2,000 years, how in the world do we say, I love you, to you, in a meaningful way uh, that is meaningful to us and meaningful to you? And Jesus said, if you love me, uh, keep my commandments. And that's the greatest way that we have uh, to express our love to him. And uh, we can't do it face to face, but he receives our obedience to him as an expression of our love uh, for him. And that's a, 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 a beautiful way to uh, recognize and to, to view our uh, obedience. Then down in verse 19, uh, Jesus declared, a little while longer and the world will see me no longer, but you will see me because I live, uh, you will live uh, also. And at that uh, day you will know that I am in the Father and you in me and I in you. And so here he uh, reiterates to them the fact of his coming death, burial, and resurrection. I'll be gone for a while. You'll see me uh, again. The world won't see me. 
um, uh, and, and Jesus following his re resurrection from the dead. His ministry was to his disciples before his ascension. They were the focus for him. And, and so he speaks about uh, the fact that they're going to see him again following his, his resurrection. And he who has my commandments and keeps them uh, is he who loves me, and he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself uh, uh, to, uh, to him. And so here is the, the blessing uh, again of uh, obedience and uh, having his commandments. As we keep those commandments, then we're expressing our love to him. And then uh, God promises here is a, is a promise associated with obedience. Jesus says, he who loves me will be loved by my father and I will love him and manifest myself to him. That's an important last phrase there, and manifest myself to him. As we obey the Lord in our life, it gives him the freedom uh, to bless us with a greater revelation of himself and of his, uh, of his will, of his truth, of uh, the Christian life. And so uh, as we obey uh, him, then the Christian life just continues to grow and exponentially the path widens out uh, to us because the Lord looks and says, I can entrust this kind of revelation, I can entrust this kind of insight to this person by virtue of their obedience. And uh, for instance, if a person comes to God and says, uh, God, um, I ask that you would provide me with wisdom in this area of my life and what it is that I ought to do. And, and yet I prayed the same prayer to him six months earlier uh, on a different issue, and he showed me what I was supposed to do, and I disregarded what he had to say. God is not compelled to just answer our prayers for wisdom and bless us with spiritual revelation when we accept some of it and we reject uh, the rest of it. Why would he reveal more to me if I haven't prized it enough uh, to handle the previous revelation uh, in a God-honoring way? And so the way to grow and, and for a God to reveal himself in a greater, greater measure in the Christian life and, and greater intimacy of relationship with him is found in uh, obeying him. And this is one of the great blessings uh, of, uh, of obedience. And he said, uh, Judas, not Iscariot, said to him, Lord, how is it that you will manifest yourself uh, to us and not to the world? And Jesus answered and said to him, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word and my father will love him and we will come to him and make our home with him. So he says, how in the world can you talk about uh, being this, and how can, you, how can you cut the line so tight that you will be this to us as your disciples and not be this to the rest of the world? How does that, how does that, that how do you manage a cutoff like, uh, like that? And, and Jesus reveals here, again, the spiritual birth God comes into our life by the Holy Spirit, and then he reveals these things. He unfolds this Christian life to us individually in a way that the rest of the world is in and on that conversation. And they're not in on that revelation uh, 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 relationship uh, 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 yet. And so all of these things open up to us. These are blessings that are unique to the Christian. God would love to do it in every human life. Uh, but it occurs by the Holy Spirit, and I've got to be born again and put my faith in Christ to receive the Holy Spirit into my life. And so Jesus said, if a person loves me, he'll keep my commandments, and uh, speaking of the Father, and we will come to him and make our home with him. And that, that phrase, make our home with him, uh, the word, it's the word abide. It means to settle down and make ourselves at home. It is the Christian life that obeys the Lord, that is a life that God is comfortable in, so to speak. He can settle down in that life and make himself at home. 
and, and there isn't the grieving of the Spirit, there isn't the, the quenching of the Holy Spirit, there isn't this on one day, off the other day, and, and all where, uh, you know, the house, the house becomes chaos for uh, the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, for the Father and the Son, and, uh, and so where there is this obedience, it is just a peaceful environment. My life becomes a peaceful environment for the Holy Spirit uh, and for God the Father and the Son to settle into my life and, uh, and for the, the, the deepest uh, uh, relationship with God to occur. He who does not love me uh, does not keep my words, and the word uh, which you hear is not mine, but the Father's who sent me. So he speaks this conversely. Uh, he, he talks about, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. Here he says, he who does not love me does not keep my commandments. I could spend a lot of time on this, but the group that this verse applies to are all home watching football right now. So it just wouldn't do any good at all, and so I'm just going to leave it uh, right where it is. And these things I have spoken to you while being present with you, but the Helper, again a name for the Holy Spirit, the Helper of the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, He, again the personal pronoun for the Holy Spirit, He will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all things that I said to you. And so the Holy Spirit, part of His um, ministry is to teach us all things and then it is also uh, to bring all things to our uh, remembrance. And so Jesus' teaching ministry, he assures them all of that is going to continue, but now it's going to continue by way of the Holy Spirit, and he'll bring to your remembrance all the things that I said to you. The ultimate kind of fulfillment of that is um, the Bible that we have in front of us, the gospel that is before us, as uh, the Holy Spirit then uh, inspired the writers of the New Testament, inspired them, brought to their remembrance. You remember John at the end of this gospel, he said, you know, if we tried to write down everything, a miracle and teaching that Jesus did, the books couldn't, the world couldn't contain the books. So how in the world do we come up with such a, uh, a treasured, uh, dense, uh, beautiful thing as we have in the scriptures? The Holy Spirit did just this thing brought to the remembrance of the Apostle John and also uh, Matthew and also uh, Mark and Luke and, and the Apostle Paul and all, brought to their remembrance what it is that needed to be brought to their remembrance out of this huge fullness of three and a half years of Jesus' uh, life and, and his, his teaching. It also has a, um, an, an application to us as Christians as the Holy Spirit uh, brings the scriptures to our remembrance as we have uh, need. And I think one of the great experiences in the Christian life is to be talking with another Christian about some area of the Bible or sharing uh, uh, Christ with, uh, with a, somebody that's not a Christian yet or you're teaching a Bible study and then all of a sudden the Holy Spirit uh, jumps into the conversation. All of a sudden you are thinking about verses, somebody asks something, and then a verse comes into your mind in response to that question that you hadn't thought about in ages and you didn't even know you knew, but you'd read it sometime in the course of your life, and the Holy Spirit brings it to our remembrance and it becomes a part of the conversation. I've been in so many conversations out in that fellowship hall with, with people and somebody has a question about something, or we start to talk about a given subject. Maybe there's three or four of us there, and then somebody will say this. Well, yeah, what about, and I see this and this, and then, then they'll say this thing and all. And pretty soon, God is bringing to all, our remembrance in that group all of these different things about that subject. And then pretty soon we're done, and we realize God entered the conversation. God entered the conversation here. And he brought things to our remembrance to bring that subject to a conclusion. And when it was over, it was like an amen. Now we just stand and look at one another. And then ask who's going to be the next quarterback for the Las Vegas Raiders. Just to move on to nonsense. Or soccer, right, Deb? I'm sorry about that. I, just, I test her love for the body of Christ by doing this. It's for her own good. She's a soccer player. And, and that, that beautiful way that it, that it happens. Now, one of the things that's necessary for the Holy Spirit to bring God's Word to our remembrance is for 
it to have been put into the remembrance at some point in time. We can't assume that he's going to bring to remembrance something that we didn't bother to put into the, uh, bring into remembrance bank within our lives. But he'll always be faithful uh, to, uh, to do that. And uh, it's a wonderful, wonderful experience. I've left, I've mentioned it before, but I've left conversations uh, more than once in that fellowship hall where we're talking about something. God enters the conversation. Somebody says this. Somebody else says something like this. And something clicks for me and all. And then I excuse myself from the group. I come in here. I grab a bulletin and a pen. And I write the thought progression down. And it's going to end up in a sermon somewhere. Because I know I could never make it that clear on my own. The way he just did it there. And it's just one more way that the Christian life is, is a supernatural life. And then uh, Jesus uh, continues with his, uh, his encouragement and comfort to them in the upcoming separation. He said, peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. Not as the world gives uh, do I give to you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. And so he says, uh, I give you my, my peace, and he does give us his peace by uh, the Holy Spirit. And when he says, I give you a peace that the world uh, cannot or does not give, uh, the, the, the peace that the world offers is a peace that I experience as long as my assets are greater than my liabilities, whatever that may be, health, money, whatever it might be. And because of that, peace is fleeting as the world would give it. It's changing all of the time. And so in order to impart peace, uh, that uh, uh, here that is something that's going to withstand the ups and downs of, of life. Uh, the, the person that is giving the peace has to be greater than all the things that would rob us of our peace uh, in the course of life. And Jesus is able to do that. So he said, I'm going to give you peace. And uh, I trust that all of us have experienced a supernatural peace in our life. We go, I... Lord, if you weren't giving my, me your peace here right now, I'd be an absolute mess. And so I know you're giving me your peace in this, this situation. And that's a wonderful um, fulfillment of Jesus' promise here. He said, you have heard me say to you, I'm going away and coming back to you. If you loved me, you would rejoice because I said, I'm going to the Father for the Father is greater than I. And now I've told you before it comes uh, that when it does come to pass that you may believe. And so when I go, that death, burial, resurrection, ascension into heaven, that you'll recognize uh, this won't trouble you, but it will be a further foundation for your faith uh, uh, in me and uh, believing in the things that I taught uh, have taught you. He said, I uh, will no longer talk much with you, for the ruler of this world is coming, Satan, to come against Jesus uh, on the cross, and he has nothing in me, or uh, can also be translated, nothing on me. You think about Jesus on that cross as he's uh, bearing our sins upon the cross, and um, you, you can just imagine Satan with his demonic horde. He must have unleashed the most concentrated blast of demonic whatever on Christ as he's on that, uh, on that cross. And one of the reasons, many reasons, that he wasn't successful is he had nothing on Jesus. Jesus was sinless and the sinless uh, sacrifice for uh, our sins and uh, Satan's attack was absolutely uh, fruitless. But uh, things would get very hot uh, on the morning of his crucifixion. The disciples would scatter. Jesus said, I won't be talking to you much at that point. Um, I'll, be, I'll be concentrating on what is immediately uh, before me. But that the world may know that I love the Father, and the Father gave me a commandment, uh, so I do. I go to the cross um, and be out of my love for the Father, and as the Father gave me commandment to do, so I do. Arise and let us go from here. And so uh, he, he does, and then he moves on into... Uh, chapter 15 and all of the beauty that's found in that chapter as well. If you're here this evening and you're not yet a Christian, you know, there's the old joke or the old saying that um, uh, uh, being in a church doesn't make you a Christian any more than being in a garage makes you a car or 
McDonald's makes you a hamburger. There's endless variations on, on all of this. But it's important to understand that. We become a Christian when at some point in our life we acknowledge to God uh, the truth of the bad news about our life, and that is that we are sinners and that our sin has separated us from a relationship with God, the relationship we've been created for, uh, and, but that God uh, so loved us that he sent his son into the world to die on the cross for our sins as the full and satisfying payment to provide the forgiveness of our sins. He was buried and rose again on the third day. And if I put my trust in Jesus and say, Father, I, I admit that I'm a sinner and I, and I see where I would need to be forgiven of my sins to come into relationship with you. I have to come into that relationship on your terms, not on my terms. And, and so I give you my life. I believe Jesus is the Savior that pleases you. I believe that, that he offers the salvation that pleases you. And so I put my trust in that. And when a person does that, then the Holy Spirit comes into our life and we're born again. And if you have never done that in your life before, we'll be up in front immediately after the service and we'd love to talk with you to begin that relationship with God this evening. If you need prayer for anything in your life, any of us here this evening, we'd love to pray with you and for you as well. Let's stand together now and we'll close in prayer. Father, thank you for the instruction of your word tonight. We do think about these disciples and what they had become accustomed to for three and a half years and now the massive change, the massive uncertainty that they faced and the reassurance that you gave them. And here we sit almost 2,000 years later and uh, we are uh, the partakers and participants and all of the encouragements that you gave them, that all of them are true and that we can know you wonderfully and powerfully uh, even with this separation that is currently physically a part of our relationship with you. And yet how wonderful it is because of all you have provided by your Holy Spirit and in your wisdom toward us. We close tonight by just saying thank you for this Christian life. Uh, thank you for the blessing that it is and thank you, Lord, that behind all of it is the realization that all of this for all of its glory is through a glass darkly and that one day it will give way to face to face. But thank you for this instruction and encouragement until that day for our lives as well. And we thank you, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen.